0: All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those and turn with me to the book of Jonah, the book of Jonah. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, you'll find one underneath your seat. Uh, that is our gift to you, so please take that home uh, with you. If you're new to Christianity and don't know where to start reading, uh, we, if you want to know more about who Jesus is, we love for you to read the Gospel according to John. That's a good place to, to start. Uh, for the rest of us, if you say, man, I... I kind of want to really just jump in, and I don't know what to do with my quiet time. I would invite you all to join our reading plan uh, here in 2015. We're reading the Bible together. I know many of us, you may have thrown in the towel and said, I got behind back in February, and I've just given up on all of this. I would invite you just to jump back in, okay? So you don't have to catch up unless you're just really spiritual and want to do that. By all means, you may get an extra star in your crown if you catch up at this point. But just jump in tomorrow morning where the story picks up. It doesn't matter that you skip some stuff. Stuff, just jump in and read the story of God as it unfolds. So I invite for many of you that have give, thrown in the towel on that to pick it back up, okay, and get in the game with us. Because what we've been doing, if you're a guest with us, we read through um, our time with the Lord as we read through the Bible chronologically. And then we come in on our weekend gatherings at both campuses and we preach from a selection of uh, our last week's reading. So this week uh, we're looking at the life and the ministry of Jonah. And so for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the prophets and who the prophets have been and what they are called to do, and that God raised up men to speak on behalf of God with the authority of God himself. So prophets are those who are speaking with the authority of the Lord. So you'll hear things as we read throughout the rest of the Old Testament, things like thus says the Lord, X and Y. Okay, So they're going to lay out what God has said. And so we look today at one of the minor prophets. You may have heard that as, as you've grown up around church, minor prophet. Jonah is not minor because he's little or he's not that significant. He's a minor prophet because of the length of his message. So you have the major prophets, you have the minor prophets, uh, and it's not about significance or value, it's just the length of what God had raised them up in a certain point in human history to speak. And so today we're going to look uh, at Jonah. And so again, a little historical background, as we've seen the story unfold, so the kingdom Of Israel has now been divided into the northern and the southern kingdom and so this story is right around 780 BC under the reign of Jeroboam II and so Jonah you may not have known this but he finds his way in the story before we read about him in the book that bears his name in 2nd Kings chapter 14 we won't read that for the sake of time but we see Jonah is raised up to speak to King Jeroboam II and so what's happening here is King Jeroboam is a wicked, wicked king. But yet God raises up Jonah to speak to Jeroboam II to say, you are wicked, but I'm going to bless you, and really in spite of you. And so what we see under this king's rule is that Israel gets closest to the height of their... Uh, wealth and prosperity remember back when solomon was king man, they just had it going on and so now king jeroboam the second is a wicked king but god's blessing him in spite of them to see that the kingdom is now expanding and they're seeing a high point since the rebellion and since solomon's demise so jonah is seen as a national hero because during his prophetic ministry man the nation is thriving and so jonah steps into the scene and he's well known uh, but his prophetic ministry, many throughout church history, is called Jonah the missionary prophet. The missionary prophet. Because most of the time, God would call up prophets to speak to his people, Israel. But we see specifically with Jonah, he did do that. But God specifically is going to call Jonah to not just speak to his people, Israel, but to go to the hated enemy country of Assyria and speak to them. And so most of the prophetic books that we'll read in the Old Testament, listen, they really kind of unpack the message of the prophets. Here's what the prophets have said. You get to really read the dialogue that's happening uh, among the prophets. But Jonah is different. The book of Jonah doesn't really do that. Because Jonah's message is really brief. We'll see that as we uh, as the story unfolds here as we look at his life. But instead, the, the, the God, the Holy Spirit, through the inspiration of this author, is writing this book and it really focuses in on the prophet himself. Instead of just his message, it focuses in on his life and his running from uh, the call of God on his life. So, uh, if you have your Bibles in front of you, John Jonah, John Jonah, chapter one. John's coming a little bit later in the year, Jonah chapter one. Uh, so, the first thing that we see about the story is what I want to do. I want to walk through just some select passages. Uh, Jonah's just four chapters. I want us to kind of get a feel for the story, and then we're going to pull out some principles uh, for our lives today and what this means uh, for us. But the first thing that we see in these first three verses is that Jonah is going to run. In the opposite direction of God's call. Let's read it together. Verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. So pretty clear, right? God's told Jonah, I want you to get up. And I want you to say this to these people. And notice what he does in verse 3. But Jonah rose, he got that part right, to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And this, in the way this is written in the original language, notice this, this, this use of the word down. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord and so if we had a map maybe if you got some maps in the back of the Bible you can look this up but God tells him to go to Nineveh which is the capital city of Assyria their enemies okay and so he says go to Assyria so it would be up here and he goes this way <laughs> Right? Like I mean, the exact opposite direction from where God told him to go. This is not just, oh man, I boarded the wrong ship, God, my bad. Like it's willful rebellion, like he's going the opposite direction. You say, well, why? I mean, he's a prophet of God, like he's he's speaking on behalf of God, he's hearing the word of the Lord. Why would he do this? Why would he run the exact opposite way that God told him to go? So we've got to understand something about the people of Nineveh and the capital c- city here of Assyria, the Assyrians were known to be cruel. Okay, they were known for their brutality in war. They were known not just to conquer nations, but to destroy nations. Okay, they would make a spectacle of the people that they were conquering. And even though right now uh, the people of Israel are at peace, uh, Assyrians aren't really much of a threat right now. They are known to be, they are their enemies and they are cruel and unreasonable And they are fearful and and one of the most hated enemies of Israel of this day. They're hated. So a hundred years later, as we read the story, Assyria is going to rise up and take captive the people of Israel, the northern kingdom. So they are a foe of Israel, a big foe. And so just put it in our modern day language. We read this and go, okay, Derek, I'm hearing you. But this is what the equivalent of our day would be. If God looked at you today and said, arise, get up. And go to the Middle East. And I want you to speak a word to ISIS. I mean, it's, it's that level. That, that weighs a little heavier on us, doesn't it? Like, what would be your response to that? But like, God, don't you see what they're doing to people like us? They're, they're brutal. And I would rather see your judgment on them. I, I don't want to see their repentance. I, I want to see them die. They're our enemies. Why, why would I willingly go, leave comfort to go to them? It's, it's that, that, that tension here. So that's what Jonah's feeling. And so before we give Jonah such a bad rep, and give him a hard time for going the other direction, and I think so many of us, if we see it in that light, would say, man, his, his activity here is, kind, of makes, kind of makes sense. And notice he's, he's attempting to flee from the presence of the Lord, specifically. So he rose up to try to run away from what God is doing uh, in his life. Let's keep reading. Verse 4, God sends a storm. God's in the storm. Let's read. This. So he's on this ship, heading the opposite direction, away from God's call on his life. Here's what happens. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. So, so here's kind of what's going on. These pagan sailors that he's on this ship with are afraid for their lives. And if we, if we had time to read the narrative, they're going, this is not just any kind of storm. We're professional sailors, but something's going on here that's just otherworldly. There's a God that's, that's not been appeased. There's a God out here that's been very angered. And so all of these men begin to just pray to their own God and say, God, if we've messed this up, like I'm, we're sorry, don't kill us. And Jonah is down at the bottom of the boat asleep. And after they cast lots, they come to Jonah and say, Jonah, this is you. You're the one that's running from your God, the God of the Hebrews. What is going on? And he, so he volunteers himself. He says, it is me. I'm a Hebrew. Just throw me overboard. I'm the one that's causing this storm. Get me off this ship. So they throw Jonah uh, overboard. And so this picture that Jonah is now going down to the bottom of the sea, uh, really to his peril. But we see that that's not the end of the story, that God is sovereignly at work here in the life of Jonah. He's going to intervene uh, into this scene. So God is going to save Jonah, verse 17 of chapter 1. Let's read this. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So many people throughout church history say, This is not an actual fish, this is just an allegory, this is just a symbol, this is not an actual historical account. We're going to read uh, later on that Jesus quotes this story and it has a direct implication. So we believe at Tri-Cities that we believe this was a great fish. This is not some picture of a fish, that an actual fish swallowed an actual man in the actual sea. Okay? If you want to know more why we believe that, I would love to talk to you uh, about that, but that's not the main point of the story. We have a lot more to cover, but we believe that this actually happened. This is an historical narrative. So you say, okay, so Jonah is going down to the bottom of the sea, and this big fish swallows him up. How is that God saving him? It doesn't seem like mercy, but it is mercy. God is pursuing his prophet. Remember, he's running from God, and he's Chasing him down to say, I have a a pursuit in your life. I'm doing something in your life, Jonah. So let's keep reading. Jump over to chapter 2 with me in verse 9. So that he's three days, three nights in the belly of this big fish. And that Jonah begins to cry out to God. Begins to change his tone a little bit. Begins to to pray to God. And let's read uh, just a a portion of his prayer. You can read chapter 2 later on this afternoon if you want to read it in its entirety. But here's the end of the prayer, verse 9. Jonah prays, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you, talking to God, what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He knows that because he's experiencing it, even sitting in the belly of this fish. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Notice God's response in verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land one of my favorite verses of the Bible. That's awesome. God told a fish to vomit, and it just upchucked this man out with seaweed and all this other stuff onto dry land. That's just such a cool, I'm getting to my kid version here, that's such a cool verse. So this, this whale, fish, whatever, vomits up Jonah on dry land. All right, so science would tell us we don't want to raise too much into this. God could have preserved this man. This might not have happened, but it's very possible that Jonah is bleached white from all the acid that's in this belly of this fish, and he's going to look pretty gross. I mean, no hair on his head, no eyebrows, right? I mean, he's just this weird-looking dude, and likely people have saw this happen, that this prophet is now vomited up out of this fish onto this, to this uh, beach, and everyone's like out there vacationing and going, what in the world is happening right now? I've got to talk to that guy, you know? He's got a story to tell. And in fact, he does. Let's keep reading in chapter 3, verse 1. Jonah's going to preach repentance to Nineveh, uh, finally. So let's read in verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose, and this time, where'd he go? He went to Nineveh. He ain't running no more, okay? According to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days' journey in breadth. It was a massive met, uh, metropolitan kind of area. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey in, and he called out. Here's the message, okay? Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's the summary of his message. 40 days, and there's destruction coming to you and the people of Nineveh look at this believed God they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them when God saw what they did how they turned from their evil way verse 10 God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it man what a what a picture what what a, what a Testimony of God's salvation to this wicked, wicked people, destruction's coming. And you got to understand something about this city. This is such a cool little side note. Is that one of the main false gods of Nineveh was called? I'm going to butcher his name, but Akkadin. You know he was the god of. You know what he was the god of? The fish god. He was half man, half fish. And so here comes this man who's lived in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights, the fish prophet, if you will, going into the city of the fish God and says, hey, the God of the Bible, the Hebrew God, Yahweh, is going to destroy you because of your wickedness in 40 days. And the, the, the response of that from the, from the king all the way down to the cattle says, we're going to repent. We're going to turn. We don't want to experience destruction and we believe god so let let me just say any of us in this church if we were to experience something like that a move of god like that that should be the cause of celebration right i mean like a whole city is on their knees saying we do not want to have destruction from this god we believe the god of the bible that's cause for some celebration right That's not what we see happening in, in jonah let's read chapter four notice jonah's response Verse 4, or chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Displeased him exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this, notice this, what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. So he's telling us his his thought process. Why did he run in the first place? God, here's why, when I was in my country, why I ran the opposite direction. For I knew that you are a gracious God. And I knew that you were merciful. And that you're slow to anger. And you're abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. I knew that's who you were. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life away from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? It's a pretty penetrating question. So this prophet of God is exceedingly angry that these people are repenting. He said, God, this is why I didn't come in the first place, because I knew this would happen. So he wasn't afraid of failure. Okay? He wasn't afraid of what they would do to him. He was afraid that if he did preach repentance, that they would actually repent. Because he knew that about the heart of God. Let's keep reading in chapter 4, verse 5. Jonah's more concerned about a plant than the people. So here's what he does. He, verse 5, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see What would become of the city so you gotta get this picture jonah's up on a mountain and he's looking out over nineveh and he's waiting for god to nuke them he's like i'm hoping that god changes his mind he destroys them he's waiting to see what's going to happen to these people verse six now the lord god appointed a plant and made it come up over jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort so jonah was exceedingly glad Because of the plant. See the word picture? Before he was exceedingly uh, displeased, and now he's exceedingly glad over a plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. Here Jonah is again. He was happy because he had his little plant. And now Jonah's ready to to end it all again. He says in verse 8, It is better for me to die than to live. Verse 9, But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh? That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons which, who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. In scene. God walks off the stage and the book ends. So Jonah is angry Displeased that God killed his little plant, and God uses that as a as a word picture. Say, really, you care more about this plant and your comfort and your convenience in that than and you're mad that I care about this city, hundred twenty thousand or more that are perishing without me. And he just, it just ends. And we believe we don't really know for sure who authored the book of Jonah, but somebody had to know kind of what's going on. In Jonah's life so we have good evidence to believe that Jonah wrote the book of Jonah and so it's almost he's writing this baby possibly as his confession to say I'm gonna tell you how it really went down and I'm using this to show a a picture to you that man eventually I I hope that we can see that Jonah came from this but we have no indication to believe that he ever really got up from this sulking and this perspective narrow perspective on his life and the book just ends Praise the Lord, Derek, thank you for that. That's really depressing. what are we supposed to do with this? You know? So what, what I want to do for the time that I have remaining is ask a few questions. What do we learn about God from this story? Remember, this is revealed um, revealed from God's word. This is from the mouth of God. So God's teaching us something about himself. What do we know about God? What do we learn about Jonah? And what are some parallels that we can see from the life of Jonah that are in our lives as well um, today so Let's move through these quickly. Uh, here's what we learned about God, all right? God is sovereignly in control of all things. Sovereignly in control of all things. I don't know if you saw this story, but we don't have time to camp here. I wish I could. But we see that, listen, before you go too far on the other end, that people are responsible for their actions here, right? People are responsible. Jonah rebelled. He chose to do that. The sailors were fearful and they made decisions and with what they did to throw Jonah overboard. Nineveh rebelled and Nineveh chose to repent. Jonah chose to sulk and be mad at God, okay? All of these are decisions that people are making. But we see this theme that in those people responsible for their actions, but God is sovereignly in control. First, listen, over the nature. I want you to see down to the smallest of details. Do you guys remember that when we read through those? That God appointed the storm storm was a result of God's activity, that God did this, that God sent the fish. The fish, go swallow that man. It's not, it doesn't happen every day, okay? Like this is the activity of God. God says, fish, vomit, and the fish listens, okay? God appointed the plant. And the plant grew up overnight. You say, Derek, there's no way plants can grow overnight. That's scientifically impossible. But if God says plant grow overnight, plant can grow overnight. He says to the worm, worm, go eat. Here's your dinner. Go eat the plant. And the worm goes and eats the plant. And he says, he sends this scorching east wind to get on Jonah. The Lord appointed all of these things. So you see this? That God is sovereign and in control of everything the smallest details of our world. There's nothing that is outside of the control and the hand of our God. But see, he's not just over in control of the small details. He's in control of the biggest and the most powerful and over the whole nations. That he holds the fate of Assyria in his hands. That if he wants to destroy this wicked city, they deserve that and it's God's prerogative and he is just and holy to do so. But if he chooses to relent and offer a way out for this city, then it is his prerogative, and his decision to do so. The the Psalms say that the Lord sits in the heavens, and he does as he pleases. Many are the plans of a man, but it is the Lord who directs his steps. God is sovereign over all things, and he's sovereign over his prophet. that Jonah, listen, could not outrun the presence of God. I thought it was ironic, right? So Jonah says, I'm going to leave this, and flee from the presence of the Lord. But listen, You cannot flee from the presence of our God. So he's leaving the presence of God into the presence of God. So wherever you go, Jonah, even to the depths of the sea, the Psalms would say, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. I can't go anywhere to remove myself from your gaze and your pursuit of me. God is sovereign over all things, from the biggest to the smallest. And what we see here, Jonah is a picture of the folly of our sin. He's running from God as if he can run from God. And so there's a picture of every time that we say that we refuse to go with God and with what he's revealed to us in his word, basically what we are buying the lie is sin is deceiving. And it tells us that we can actually get away with it. We can actually get away from God's pursuit of us. It's the folly of sin. It's that Your sin tells you it's not that big of a deal. Your sin says that God's just going to overlook it, or that He's not all-powerful. He's not sovereign over all things. But we see through the book of Jonah that Jonah is, is going to be pursued by God, and he cannot run from Him. So, here's a statement. The people of God cannot outrun the pursuit of God. Now, that should terrify us and give us peace at the exact same time. Terrify us that in our sin that God sees. Nothing that you're having your life right now is not known by God. See, we even know this about human uh, relationships. There's very few sins that you would willingly walk into if someone else were in the room. Right? Like, I mean, it changes things. Like, if if the preacher was over, like, I'm going to kind of clean myself up a little bit, you know? And like, I'm not going to say some of those things. I'm going to hide some of these things in my house. I'm not going to continue to live this life. And how much more should it be that if we have to start to cover up our sin and change ourselves when, when we are around one another, how much more in the presence of a holy God we see our sinfulness. And so whatever you have in your life today, you cannot run the presence of God. And His judgment is coming towards sin, there's consequences toward our sin. God will not be mocked. That which a man sows, he will also reap. He will. But we see that's not the end of the story. That God's sovereign control, that he can't run from his presence, it actually is is, is grace, and it's one of the best things that can ever happen to us if we will repent. Because here's the second thing about God. We understand that he's sovereignly in control of all things. We cannot outrun him. But here's the second thing we learn. God's capacity to forgive is greater than our capacity to sin. Y'all are asleep. I've got to say that again, because that's good news. Next time, wake up and give me an amen or something. God's capacity to forgive is greater than our capacity to sin. Amen. That is good news. This powerful God that sees all things, that's sovereignly in control of every detail in this universe, we have sinned against Him. And He should come at us with wrath. But instead, he moves toward us in grace. Hallelujah, what a Savior. That is our God. His capacity to forgive is greater than our capacity to sin. So listen, everyone in this book is deeply sinful. Everyone in this book is rebellious. And really, everybody listens to God and eventually repents, except for Jonah, his prophet. But everybody is messed up. Okay, Everybody's jacked up in this story. The irreligious, so the pagan sailors. And the Ninevites, those people far from God, they're sinful, but we see God pursuing them in grace, right? But he doesn't just pursue the people that are far from God and irreligious, he pursues the religious. So this story is about Jonah and God's work in him. So listen, if God wanted to save the people of Nineveh, he could have called up any prophet to go and speak to Nineveh. So when Jonah ran, it could have been very easy of God to say, okay, Jonah, fine, go rebel, and just die floating down to the bottom of the, the sea, I'm going to raise up somebody else. I'm going to speak myself to Nineveh. I don't need you, right? He doesn't need Jonah. But yet, this story is about God working in his prophet. He's shaping his prophet just as much as he's reaching the city of Nineveh. That He's working in the religious. He's working in the man uh, of God to say, I'm shaping your heart, Jonah. I'm not going to let you run. I want to do something in you. So God, listen, some of you need to hear that this morning. Where sin abounded, and all of us, I pray, would say, I have an abundance of sin in my life. Maybe it's religious sin, I've ran from God by keeping all the rules my whole life, or it's irreligious sin, and I've ran from God by breaking all the rules. What you're, you need to hear from the Word of God this morning is where your sin abounded. Grace did much more abound. There's freedom in in surrender there's freedom in surrender when you say I stop running God and I'm going to receive your grace the grace we talked about from the story of Naaman last week that you don't get grace if you come to God however you want to you don't get grace if you refuse to turn from your sin and turn from yourself and put trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord there's no grace for that person God says he resists the proud but he gives grace to the who the humble the humble So God's capacity to forgive you is greater than your capacity to sin if you will bow your knee and say, Lord, I repent. Here's the third thing we learn about God. God loves his people for the sake of all people. He loves his people for the sake of all people. So God's activity in Jonah, listen, was not just about Jonah. God's activity in Jonah was about the enemy nations knowing him. He was doing this work in Jonah. said, Jonah, you're taking my grace to them. And Jonah would have said, to them? And God's reply would have been, yes, to them, to those people, to ISIS, to the most hated group that you can think of, the one that you're most fearful of, the one, to be quite honest, you would just assume and would not care very much if they just went to hell. I care about them. And I have a people. I have a work that I'm going to do. My glory is going to be made known there. He said, listen, this is the story of God unfolding. We've seen this from the very first few chapters of the Bible. Remember this way back when in Genesis chapter 12, when God called this man named Abraham. You guys remember Abraham? It's been a while, okay? But Abraham, God said, I'm going to bless you. Why? I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to the nations. So I'm going to make a people out of you, Abraham. It's going to be the people of Israel. But Israel is going to be a light to the nations. You're going to go to all peoples. So I'm going to do this work in you that I might display my glory through you to the ends of the world. It was the point of, the, of God's activity in the first person of Abraham that he's working in, in covenant. But Listen, since that beginning, we've seen this inward trajectory of God's people. Instead of saying, okay, all these blessings, listen, we're getting somewhere that applies to us today. We're going to do this work. All the blessings that you are giving to me, Israel, Israel says, was meant to be extended to the nations. But instead, you know what they did? They took blessings for themselves. Made it about them. With no regard for the people out there, they, they forgot their primary purpose, to enjoy God, but to see Him enjoyed by every nation, every tribe and every tongue and every language and every people group and we see that even spread out into the new testament okay the pharisees remember pharisees they they were the jewish people and they were so angry so angry that jesus the messiah would come and give bread to the dogs you guys remember those like why would you go to the gentiles why would you go to those people It's always been that way peter and Cornelius in acts chapter 10 if you guys remember that story when the early church jesus is resurrected and he goes A way that God works in Peter's life to show him, listen, what I've called clean, do not call common. Like, it's about all nations knowing me, not just the Jewish people. And so he gave Peter this vision with Cornelius to see that, no, 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 the gospel is to make its way first to Israel, but out to the uttermost parts of the world. We see another story in the life of Peter, because remember the story, I think it's in Galatians, where, He's eating with Gentile people, which was not a thing to do in the Jewish church. But he's eating with his Gentile brothers and sisters, eating a bacon sandwich, you know, because they were supposed to eat bacon in the Jews. And he's eating that. And then his Jewish people come in, his Jewish friends, and he leaves that table, his Gentile friends. And he goes and sits with the Jewish people. And the Jewish people are saying, hey, you're supposed to become, be like us. And Peter's like, yeah. And then Paul says in Galatians, listen, he says he opposed Peter face to face. He says, you're walking out of step with the gospel. Meaning, you're eating with these the, the the nations. You're eating with people that are different than you. Enjoying your liberties. But then when the Jewish people come in, you're pulling out and saying, no, no, no. You shouldn't be doing this. He says, you're walking out of step with the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is for all people. That's what Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for everyone who will believe. To the Jew first, but also to the Gentiles, to all nations. It's not just about the Jewish people. It's not just about people who are like us. God's plan, and I could keep going, but I won't, I'll spare you. God's plan is for the nations to know him. And yet God's people have always had this inward bent to say, God, you're blessing me for me. Or you're blessing me for people who are like me. When God's heart is for all people to know him. And God's is no different today no different today so if you'll allow me let me step on some toes uh, in the room stepping on my own maybe we've said things like this i don't know why we should go to the nations when there are people in our backyard who need jesus right and to that i say yes people in our backyard need jesus that's why we're in this room amen the like, tri believes in multiplication. That's why we're here. We care about Johnson City. We care about this region. We care about the, these people knowing who God is. But listen, it's not an either or. It's a both and. We cannot sit here and say, we cannot use our reaching this region to be an excuse to not obey God in his heart for all regions. Because his heart is for the nations. So as we are being faithful here, We must not just let it be just about here. We must say our faithfulness here should compel us to go to the ends of the earth with the gospel because that is what God is doing in the world. And maybe we would even be a little more blatantly, even racist or blatantly against this and say, you know what, all those people over there, I would rather God just nuke them. I've had that conversation with people, not at this church, but in the church. I would rather God just destroy our enemies much less go and spread the gospel to them and love them. But I I, I recall the words of Jesus, and this is heavy this morning, but listen, Jesus does not just say love one another. He says love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Do good to those who despitefully use you. It's the nature of our God. And he modeled that. He came for his enemies. That's you, and that's me died in our place and he did he took responsibility for something that was not his fault so that we could have access to him again god's heart listen is for not just people who are like us but he's for the nations. so very quickly what can we learn about jonah and learn about ourselves so that's who god is That he is a God who's sovereign and in control. He's moving human history to accomplish his purposes in the world. And he's a God who is gracious and slow to anger. And he's willing to forgive you if you will repent and believe in him. And listen, that heart of forgiveness and grace is not just for you. and It's not just for people like us. It is for every tribe and every tongue of this world. That's the heart of our God. That's what he's doing. So here's what we need to learn from ourselves. We can fail to connect the mercy of God in our lives with the mission of God in the world. We can fail to connect this mercy that we've experienced, who we know to be true about God, and the mission of God, what He's doing in the world. That can happen in this room. And I want to argue that it probably is happening in all of our hearts. And we're going to ask, Lord, how are you doing this? How have I failed to connect what you've done in my life with what you're doing in the world around me, in the lives of other people. See, Jonah refused to go to Nineveh. I've said this before, but I will hit it again. Not because he was afraid of failure, because he knew God was sovereign and in control, and not because he was afraid of what would happen to them, but specifically because he knew the nature of God. He knew the character of God. He knew that he would forgive. And he had been a recipient of mercy but was unwilling to extend that mercy to others. God, I know that you're God gracious, but I don't care about those people experiencing your grace. That was Jonah's point of running. And he did not want to be known, listen, as the one who spared his enemies, because eventually Assyria is going to come in and, and wipe out his people. He didn't want to be known as the guy from his nation that actually let the enemies off. He wanted to see them destroyed and so he cared more about his nation listen he cared more about his nation than he did the nations is that not a a trap that we can fall into listen i love The United States of America. America. I am patriotic to the core. I love my country, and I want to see this country know God. But listen, it is not just about America knowing God. It's about the nations knowing God. And the blessings that we have received here is maybe, just maybe, for the point of all nations to know him. It's not just about us. And if we can become so inward-focused and so imperialistic and nationalistic to think that it's just about us, we fall in the shoes of Jonah. If we refuse to care about these things, the heart of God, we are going down the same, in the same ship to the same uh, proverbial Tarshish in our lives. So here's a statement that I want us to wrestle with. we have got to ask this question. Uh, if this is true of us. Pride causes us to be theologically right, but relationally wrong and missionally disobedient. If we're not careful, this pride that's in us can cause us to be theologically right. Listen, he had right views of God. But that theology didn't change the way he saw people. It didn't change his his point of his life. He was disobedient because he did not want to live out this mission of God in his life. Is this true of us this morning? Here's another thing that we can learn about ourselves, last thing. We can be more concerned with our own empty desires than others' eternal destinies. So here's what Jonah did. He was more upset about God taking away this little plant (laughs) than he was a nation, a whole nation, worshiping the one true God. And when that thing was taken away from him, he was ready just to die. But that when God wanted to save a nation. He was mad about that as well. This is the inconsistencies in his life. More concerned about own empty desires than others' eternal destinies. Listen, our love of stuff, stuff can keep us from God's love for others and their salvation. So I was going to ask us the question. I think some of us, the reason that we sit here and go, man, this is uncomfortable. Man, I don't even want to hear this. What does this even mean for my life? You're already getting nervous going, oh my goodness, is there going to be an altar call for a mission trip to Iran after this? Like, what's happening? Derek, you're freaking me out. And I think some of the reason that we have that is because well, what if we die? A love of our own lives more than a love of God's glory among the nations. What would that mean for my kids if we were to go spend a time in that kind of context? What would happen to me? What would I have to give up? I'd have to not have barberitos in my town anymore, you know? Like, I would miss my barbs. I'd miss my barbs, too, by the way. I really would. Uh, take up your cross, you know? <laughs> but, like, I, I, even like a cultural difference. i got to live in this place. I don't know the language. The people are different than me. I'm going to stick out. Like, what would that mean? I, and so, it would. What, what's keeping you from maybe following God's call in your life is because you love comfort. You love your preferences. We love our comfort. We love our preferences more than we desire the salvation of the nations. And listen, that might not just even be boarding a plane. It might be in this own backyard. If we're really going to reach the city, if we're really going to make a difference here, we're going to have to get messy. You're going to have to roll your sleeve. You're going to get around people that are going to hurt you. You're going to get around people that, listen, are not like you. You gotta willingly cross those barriers to see races and to see socioeconomic strata and to see preferences and political affiliations, all of these differences, all those walls torn down that we might know God and be one and that what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross. It's gonna take us to let go of some of our things and our comfort to enter into the mission that God's called us to. So is this true of you? Is the reason? So are you engaging? the nations are you engaging people who are far from god right now and if not why why you can be theologically right but relationally and wrong and missionally disobedient and our love for stuff i think is a, is a reason that fuels it so in closing <laughs> what do we do what do we do we need jesus right? This is not get up and try harder. This is not love people better and just, you know, just find it within yourself to be this kind of person and not be a Jonah to run from the presence of God and run from his mission among the nations. So what do we do? Here's a statement. Jesus is the true and better fulfillment of Jonah. This story fits into the overarching narrative. Let me just lay this out for you. Hang with me. This is beautiful. I'm going to read this. Jonah Here's the contrast between Jesus and Jonah. Jonah reluctantly goes to a sinful city filled with his enemies and it results in being tem- them being temporarily spared from God's wrath, right? You think that's fair? But here's what Jesus does. Jesus, God himself, says he's going to not just reluctantly go, but he's going to relentlessly come, not just to a city and not just to the world, but to the sinner's cross. He's going to take their place. Listen, and not just for people that were kind of good, but kind of messed up, but for his enemies. He's going to come to a cross and take the place of his enemies that results not in temporary relief from destruction, but from eternal salvation of God's wrath. And not just for his people, but for all the nations. That Jesus has purchased for himself a people from every tribe and every tongue and every language and every people group. He accomplished that on the cross. And so Jesus himself refers back to Jonah. I'm going to read this. The words will be on the screen in Matthew 12. These are religious people comes up to him and says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man, be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So, Derek, what, what does that mean? What was going on? So here's what happened. The religious people, the, the religious Pharisees of that day were going to Jesus and said, if you're really the Messiah, show us a sign. Prove to us that you are who you say you are. And Jesus responds with He said, okay, I'll give you a sign. It's the sign of Jonah. He's like, sign of Jonah? What do you mean, Jesus? He said, okay, just as Jonah the prophet was three days and three nights in the belly of this fish, and listen, God miraculously rescued him, right? So I will go three days and three nights into the heart of the earth. I'm going to die. Why are you going to die, Jesus? I'm going to die in your place. I'm going to die for the salvation of all people. I'm going to die to bear the wrath that you deserve. That's why I'm going to die, and I'm going to be buried. But listen, three days later, just as Jonah was rescued by God from the heart of the belly of this fish, so I will be raised by God in resurrection. And that's your sign. If you want to know if I am who I say I am, Jesus says, is I will die and I will rise again. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus, listen. Listen. You've got to do something with the resurrected Christ. It is a sign to us that if he is who he says he is, and he rose from the dead, his command to you is to repent and believe in him. Repent and believe in him for the forgiveness of your sins to be reconciled to him. But that also is the impetus for us to go. Just as much as for repent. This is the the message that Jesus says, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart of the fish, I was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, and I rose again. And remember the Great Commission? We talk about it all the time around here. Matthew 28. You know how it starts? All authority has been given to me. Why? Because he's been resurrected. Go, therefore. In light of my resurrection, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. In light of the resurrected Christ, just as the word of God came to Jonah and says, Get up, go to Nineveh. So the command to us today, in light of the resurrected Christ, is for us to get up and go to the nations. It is—it's it's the command. And there's clear parallels here, and we listen. We go with confidence because we know that He's already done the work, and we're going to reap the harvest that Christ has purchased. We go because God is sovereign over all things, and so we go with confidence that He will forgive and save if we are faithful to. Speak the gospel and call for a response. That God promises to save people if we will obey him in this mission. He's promised us that. So may it never be said that we made excuses over obedience. May may it say that we always die to ourselves so that others are made alive in God. May it never be said that this church, listen, That our lives are inconsistent with what we believe. Our theology. I know I'm running over, but hang with me. Listen, do you believe this? The book of Romans, I invite you to just do a survey reading of that. Romans says this. That everybody knows something about God. And they've rebelled against what they know. And the result of that rebellion is death. And no one can know unless they believe And confess that Jesus is Lord. There's no salvation apart from that. And he he ends the book of Romans and says, how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear unless someone tell them? And how shall they be told unless somebody is sent? That's what we believe. So may our lives never be inconsistent with what we believe about that. That's the only hope. And may it never be said that we value plants more than we value souls. May our lives be characterized by this mission in the heart of God in the world. What if the grace of God in us is for the glory of God around us? If you'll bow with me, we're going to enter into time of response. For some of us in the room, here's what, this, where this lands for you. is that Your response is you need to repent and believe in Jesus. That this message of salvation is not just for the nations out there, but it's for you in here. That he is gracious to forgive you. So if you don't know what that looks like, we'd love to talk to you about what that means. Here's what I want us to ask for. So hang, hang with me, church. I want us to really not miss what God wants to do to us in this space. Some of you need to ask God right now, this morning, as we sing this song, to break your heart for what breaks his. Maybe ask it afresh. God, ruin me. <laughs> from this comfort and from this perspective that's against what you're doing in the world and ask him to give you a love for the things that he loves. Some of you, all of us, need to repent of our selfishness. We need to repent of our racism. We need to repent of all the things that keep us divided. We need to turn and see what Christ has done to forgive us of those things and to reconcile us to not just to God but to one another. One another. Some of you need to truly place your yes on the table again. You know what I mean by that? To Say, God, my answer to your call in my life will not be Jonah. I will not run. My answer is yes before I even know the question. God, I'm willing. So have you ever, you as your family, ever asked God, God, do you want me to live in another cultural context? Would you have us move to know for people to know you among the nations. If you ever asked that, I would challenge you to do that this morning. To say, God, I'm willing to go unless you want me to stay. And for all of us, regardless of that call, you need to start across the street. Ask God to give you a heart for people that are here. If you don't know, talk to Pastor Tim and talk to all that we're doing with our local missions and figure out how to get involved today, get involved with our neighbors and our co-workers. Don't run from the call of God in your life. And all of us, I think, need to begin to pray desperately for the nations. Begin to pray that God would raise up people and harvesters to go and work in these unreached people groups. People who have yet to even hear the name of Jesus. Pray for them. Get resources like Operation World and the Joshua Project and begin to pray for these unreached nations. We need to start giving generously and sacrificially that we could be a church that is about this mission of God in the world. And some of us need to go long-term, (laughs) long-term. Maybe you've been running from that call. Maybe some of you just need to go on a midterm trip to spend a summer or a semester or a year. And maybe some is just a short-term trip. So I want to go and be involved for a week or more and just see what God's doing among the nations. But church, we have no excuse. and We have no way out of caring about this. It's going to look differently for all of us. Not everyone's called to go, but we're all called to make disciples among the nations. So I'm asking you, I'm asking us as a family, let's figure out how. Let's be obedient to what God is doing in the world. And so we're going to sing this song that really this team has written uh, here at this church. And it's a prayer for ours. Lord, we will go. We will light up the world like a city on fire. And so as we sing this, as we sing this over you, let this be a time of reflection and, and prayer.